Speak for Performance Radio, episode number 10. This one is about pole dancing research. Episode number 10. Today I'm joined by Joanna Nicholas. This episode is uh, quite a different one. Today we're talking about pole dancing research. Now, you may be like me when you first heard about this and you may have laughed to yourself and thought, is this for real or is this a joke? Well, it is for real. And it's a very interesting and surprising topic. And I was uh, quite taken back by the amount of research that's gone into this uh, new sport. And Joanna will talk about this in this podcast today, how it is a new sport and the complexity of the sport the benefits to people starting it, um, not just on physical health, but also on mental health and well-being and improvement in people's probably attitude and confidence and so on. It's a pretty interesting episode. It's a bit different than some of the ones we've done before, but I met Joanna through some of the research I'm doing at UWA and I thought it'd be very interesting to have her on. She's very excited about this research. She's very um, enthused by it. She's got a great passion for it and it comes across in this interview and we had a great time doing it and I'm very interested to see where this goes in the future. Hope you enjoy the episode. I made my glasses more dirty by rubbing them with this dirty cloth. <laughs> Off the top. Anyway. I wonder why I'm blind with my coffee. It's falling from my glasses. <laughs> full, of, full of Hollandaise sauce. Yeah. <laughs> from the local coffee shop. Alright, we'll start again. Five, four, three, two, one. So this is our successful fourth attempt at trying to record this podcast. Today I'm joined by Joanna Nichols. We won't repeat the conversation about Joanna or Joanne. Because it's Joanna. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> and Joanna is here today to announce some very exciting news because we have a new sport. What's that new sport, Joanna? We do. It's pole sport, pole dancing. Pole sport. Not yes. Polish dancing, pole dancing, the vertical pole running north to south, south to north, in a room, ceiling to floor. That's great. Right. So when you say pole dancing, some people might look at you with their eyes crossed and go, yeah, what? How could that be a sport? Um, it's developed quite a lot. So... If you, even if you think about it, um, looking at gymnastics, you've got apparatus that are, that's horizontal. It's just taking it up into a different plane. Yeah. So the movements around it are very complex and becoming more and more complex. Um, so now people compete with it. Compete with it. Mm-hmm. So people are probably listening to this going, what in the name of God is Ian doing talking to a pole dancer? We've been talking about sleep and performance and sort of research, applied and athletes and so on. And the reason being is... About maybe a year ago, I saw an advert here at the University of Western Australia about researching pole dancing. And I have to say, I kind of snickered to myself and went, really? This is kind of weird and kind of cool. So I was kind of reading that and I was like, oh, that's a bit interesting. And then recently we met at a graduate research kind of workshop on putting your thesis together. Yes. Because um, I've only got like nine weeks to go. And by the time this is released, I should have waited two weeks to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I suppose we got into a conversation then about your research at the end of the workshop. And I'm, I was quite interested on not just probably the more real aspects of pole dancing around strength and conditioning, yes. which a lot of people probably do not appreciate. And when I was speaking to other people about it, people laughed initially at the start. And then when, then when you start speaking about 
the gymnastic elements and you start breaking it down, people go, oh yeah, that'd be really hard. Mm-hmm. So can you describe some of those strength and condition elements that may be uh, you know, prevalent in pole dancing that people may not be aware of? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I guess it's very upper body dominant um, and it's all closed chain type work on the pole. So it's fantastic for building upper body strength. Um, and even when you, if you hold on with your arms and lift your legs, your trunk engages. So it's really good at building muscle and um, developing you that way quite quickly. There's also an element of flexibility as well. So you build strength in um, movements where your joints are at end range, which not a lot of sports do. So really sort of building strength in different positions. So yeah. it'd probably be more, the probably more similar sport I'm thinking in my mind is gymnastics. That's right. Yes. Which is really difficult. Yes. Now since we last met, probably three, four weeks ago, I ended up putting in a, putting in a pull-up barrel home in my apartment on right. a balcony and I bought some gymnastics rings and I put them up as well. And I'm ashamed to say I am quite weak right. <laughs> in those movements. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. Of I've been trying to have this goal of 300 reps a day um, of pull-ups, push-ups, hinge movements with a kettlebell, you know, on a squat. So kind of okay. going through that push, pull, pull. you know, yeah. squat, hinge, those yes. four um, range of motion movements um, and trying to hit 300 reps every day. I'm very light kettlebell as well. I need like 12 kilos. But I'm finding even with that, it's absolutely killing me. And I'm doing different strategies like doing it all in one go breaking up across the day and I'm doing like running and jiu-jitsu and other things in, in conjunction with this but I've gained two kilos wow I yeah. feel stronger I mm-hmm. feel better it's translating into my jiu-jitsu it's translating into my running but oh my god is it hard yes like yeah. even just doing like 10 pull-ups is extremely difficult yeah. or with the rings trying to do dips just holding on to the ring the stability stability yeah and I'm starting yeah. to realise how, how weak I'm getting yes you know um you know, so this is um, when I when I was doing this over the last weeks, I was thinking about kind of pole dancing and the kind of human flag off the side. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was thinking, oh my god, this is not a this is not a joke. Mm-hmm. And um, whilst I've never been in a strip club, well, many people would not believe that. Um, that sort of activity, which most people would probably identify with pole dancing, is extremely difficult. And now I feel like going to look at the range of motion of some of these girls. But my wife is like, no, no, no. Oh. I guess for research. Only. <laughs> but um, I suppose a lot of people would have that mindset of pole dancing just in a kind of a strip club. Yes. But now yeah. we've taken this kind of, you've taken this and you're looking at this for as part of a PhD research. That's right, yeah. So what are you, what are you, what are you trying to find out from um, taking these activities out, out of this kind of environment that people would be more used to? I'm trying to understand the science behind it, so why people participate in it, um, what it does for the mind, and also what it does for the body. Um, I'm looking at injuries, because there are a lot of injuries within the sport and the activity, and we don't really know too much about it. Um, And then looking at getting into injury prevention as well, so because um, people that do the sport or the activity do do things at end range, there's a greater risk of injury. So looking at making them safe and progressing things safely for them. Okay. Yeah. And so you've obviously then taken this kind of overarching goal of your PhD and you've broken down to a number of projects. That's right. So what? Yeah. Are, how many projects have? Three, four, five, six projects kind of? Uh, four to five. Four to five. Yeah. So can you give us a quick overview of those four sure. to five? What they are? Yeah. So the first one, um, which the um, paper's been submitted for publication, um, is looking at motives behind participation and that's a qualitative um, paper. Um, The second study 
uh, was a physiology study. So I was looking at the acute response to a pole dancing class. So how many calories you burn in a class, um, heart rate range and blood lactate. Um, and that was a standardised class. Then I tracked 70 pole dancers around Australia for 12 months and they kept a training diary with all of their physical activity, including their pole dancing training. Uh, and if they were um, injured, I got a notification and followed up with a survey um, to identify what those injuries were. And then I'm still following up with physiotherapists to validate their diagnosis. Um, a fourth study, which is should be finishing up at the end of this year, is tracking um, novices that start pole dancing and they do two months, so eight weeks, and they do two classes a week of pole dancing. And pre and post, I take a look at um, physical and psychological variables, so body composition, um, fitness, strength, um, as well as different psychological things like body image, how they feel about their body, their confidence, how coordinated they feel, how strong they feel and that type of thing. Um, and the last study is looking at um, muscle activation in the shoulder joint and shoulder musculature um, in a range of different moves. And it's called an INX or a static phase. If you think about the human flag going out to the yeah. side, it's similar to that, but using different grips with the top arm and seeing what the differences are in grip with the, with the muscles and the rotator cuff. So an example of this, probably in simplistic terms, I'm thinking it's like a classic pull-up. If you have an undergrip or an overgrip, you're going to engage the biceps yes. versus the lats. Similar, yes. Sort of different types of grips. Yes. Same, same, same movement or motion or st stabilizing, yes. but different activation of different muscle groups. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Very interesting. Right. So there's five really interesting topics that... Um, I'm going, to, I'm going to start, go back to the first one. Sure. Motivation. So this is one of these, this is a paper you have in review at the moment. Yeah. So we're talking about pole dancers in terms of pole dancing for fitness. We're not talking yes, about... Yes, recreation. Fitness. We're not yeah. talking about going out to strip clubs or yes. gentlemen's yeah. clubs, whatever they're called about. Yeah. And we want to kind of differentiate your research from that straight away. Mm. And so we're looking at the pure benefits of um, this activity. Um, yeah. So what is the motivation for people getting into this type of activity or um, The motivation for getting into it, I looked at it briefly, but it was more so why they continue doing it mm -hmm. over long term. Because what I've found is that, and I've looked at females, when females start, they don't tend to finish, they'll stop. They just keep going, becomes a bit of an addiction. So a lot of them, um, they drop off their other activities or they're the type of people that will go to the gym and after couple of weeks drop out but there's something about pole dancing that keeps them going um, and it seems to satisfy a range of different needs so um, it makes um, you know the, sort of the challenge aspect to it so you learn a movement um, and then the next week that there's something that's a little bit harder and you think oh, I'm never going to get this move but then over a couple of weeks you're accomplishing that move so that so it's progression yes. adaptation progression, and, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the community is really tight knit and that's what came out in the, the focus group interviews um, there's a really accepting environment within the pole dancing community and it seems that because of the stigma around it those that are within the in group sort of stick together and they've got a really nice open community where they feel comfortable with each other. Um, 
and it's even some people have to hide their participation so people that are lawyers doctors teachers really yes yeah very interesting yeah so that they don't feel comfortable in telling people that they pole dance or I've had a couple of school teachers that say if parents found out that I pole danced I'd probably get fired so they have to keep it quiet yeah. Wow. This is interesting because I've actually observed the same thing with some martial arts as well, yeah. where people are yeah. like, don't tag me in a picture. Yes. Don't tell people I do jujitsu because they think it's like MMA or when they think it's like cage fighting. Yes. And, you know, if I look at, for example, in our gym where we train, last week there was a female engineer, a female lawyer, a PhD student, i.e., me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a guy that was out of prison, a federal yeah. police officer. Yeah. There you go. An ambulance driver, a paramedic. Yeah. Like, there's there a range of people, the mm. plumber. And I'm just thinking, like, off the top of my head, you know, someone that's unemployed. There's this range of people that come together with this common shared yeah. kind of activity. Yeah. And they can leave it sort of outside the door about what they do and, and everybody's sort of equal in, inside. Mm. So that, that's, that's really interesting. Do you think some of the, So with the motivation factor about more so staying engaged in the activity, is this because of, I'm presuming, there's an absence of males in the class? Is that part of it? No, not necessarily. Most studios are made up of predominantly females, but there are there are males that do it. But if there are if there are males in the environment, they're included. Really? Mm. Okay. Yeah. And so what? But um, we're not getting too sort of into an area where I'm going to get myself in trouble. But is it more? Is sort of maybe males who maybe from the the gay community will feel more. Uh, yeah. sort of at, at ease in that yes. sort of environment yeah. or is it do you get your classic straight sort of Aussie male football loving beer drinking guy who wants to go and try this or have you ever got that um, I ha- I've I'm just looking for a win no, by the way because yeah. I want to try one of these classes <laughs> you, want, you want an excuse <laughs> I want an excuse for this human are, flag <laughs> there are mm, I think there's more so it's, it's more so um, yeah occasionally there are but There'll be more, um, from my experience, there's guys that come in, but they'll just try it as a one-off or they'll do a workshop. Oh, they yeah, won't yeah. continue and be a part of a class yeah, long term. Yeah. And I think also some of some studios still embrace their sort of sensual side. So if you get a, a football-loving, beer-loving guy coming into a class yeah, yeah. doing body waves and hair flicks, he probably wouldn't feel comfortable. Especially if he's bald. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's more, I think a lot of studios embrace that dance side. So it's people that enjoy dancing and letting go and, ex- and expressing themselves that way. But now there are studios that are focusing more on the fitness and the athletic element. So there'll be classes that are tailored towards guys that want to do it for fitness, to be able to do a flag, to be able to handspring and do a flip and that type yeah, of yeah. thing. Kind of reminds me yeah. a bit like yoga over the years. Yoga's kind yeah, of, over the yeah. last 20 years, kind of gone like that. I remember going to yoga the last, for the first time, maybe 15 years ago, my wife. And the looks I got, you know, in a class, yeah. even though I was down the back and I could barely touch my toes, I was like the tin man. But still not the looks I got. But now when you go to a yoga class, there's, you know, probably anywhere up to like, you know, a quarter to a third that are males. Mm. And the classes are very much designed around fitness and strength and, and sort of have changed over yes. time and the studio as well, yeah. depending on the studio. So maybe it, it's kind of pole dancing for fitness is in that same eerie kind of, you know, 
incubator stage, I suppose, of I developing so. as a sport. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that? It's still a niche activity, but I think it will become more and more mainstream. And there's more activities out there now that focus on body weight type movement. So you've got like movement specialists, sort of, you know, studios that do yeah. handstands and and that type of thing. Yeah. They, they really embrace body weight based stuff. So I think they'll probably start having poles in their places soon. You've got, you know, the Ninja Academies and that type yeah, of thing yeah. where you're hanging off. So I think it will start to become more and more popular in that sense, um, which yeah, may be more mainstream. I think you're right. And I think, like, from my perspective, and it could be just a point of the journey I'm on getting as an older athlete, but I find as in sort of hitting 40 now that I tend to want to go more towards body weight, gymnastics type yes. stuff, lighter yeah. kettlebells, full range of movement, motion, um, and avoid the kind of... You know, a classic strength trend of deadlifts and squats yeah. and all that and I want to get more movement and range of motion in my body where I feel better because when I tend to go out to the gym and do these big heavy sets I just feel sore and tight and, yes. and sort yeah. of I don't know stiff afterwards so maybe this, this will find itself in, the, in this sort of niche where people are getting more towards this um, like I suppose body weight type yes. stuff yeah. yeah so yeah so with the motivation as well um, did you find and this is probably is there any, you spoke about different types of people, lawyers, teachers, and so on. Is there any socioeconomic factors that determine who goes to a pole dancing club? She's shaking her head in the negative here, by Sorry. the way. People. <laughs> you can't see me. I think I'll forget. Sorry, I forget. I'm usually in front of people, not on no. Um, no, not generally. It, but classes, and it did come up as a barrier for participation, for continuing participation was the cost. So it can be going to a studio can be quite costly but I understand from a studio's perspective they've got limited poles in a class they want one person per pole so they have to they have to cap it so there's only a certain amount that the studio can sort of earn per class they have to bump up the price to be able to pay the instructor and their rent and that so um, it can become expensive for, for those that participate. Similar to um, a Pilates class on the machine. That's so right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you, yeah. you sort of pay for your spot on yeah. the pole, um, essentially. But there are studios that open up and they have practice time where you just pay for an hour, you know, and you can practice, you know, so it's a lot cheaper that way. Um, and people get their own poles for home. So okay. they practice at home quite a lot. So how much is a, is a typical uh, pole dancing class here in Australia? Um, casually, it would probably be about... Thirty dollars to do it's one class, bad. but then the more you do, it gets cheaper. Probably yeah, yeah. drops down to twenty dollars. So in around the same prices, yoga, yes. CrossFit, martial yeah. arts, anywhere from twenty yeah. to thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not like it's a hundred dollars a class, no. or yeah, yeah, so it's not crazy expensive. Um, and so the next part she looked at about was physiology and about because um, I think a lot of people would be like looking at this one about the acute response in terms of calories burned. So a typical class lasts for how long? 60 minutes, 60, generally. 60 minutes. So yeah. how, how many calories can a person tend to burn this, this period? Um, the preliminary data that we've got from the class that we analyse is about 300 calories for a class. And so a, a typical sort of male or female, how much activity would they have to do to burn? You it's, know? The, it's the equivalent of a body pump class. Body pump class. Or probably a 25-minute run. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not too high, but the one issue that we did have because we had to um, kit up the participants with a metabolic unit, so they had a mask and a backpack, and yeah. the mask covered under their eyes, so they couldn't look down and see where the pole was properly. So we had to have quite advanced students doing an intermediate class. Okay. So they probably didn't burn as many calories as a yeah a typical person would they were a bit, little bit more advanced so it could be more and it depends on what's done in the class 
so they did in the class that we analyzed there was a standardized warm-up we did four skills um, and then they learned a routine and they went through a routine on a static pole so spinning pole could be different what the pole that spins yes. as the person yes so there's so static oh god, oh god. <laughs> So static means it's locked, so you have to spin around it, which takes quite a bit of force to kick around. Um, spinning pole, we unlock it, and there's an inner unit, so the outer unit spins around it. But once you take off and add a bit of momentum, then you pick up pace. So you've got to learn how to slow it down and speed it up. My God. It's getting, this is getting harder. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I didn't <laughs> know that. So um, when you were tracking pole dancers as well for injuries um, over this period of time, we see in other sports um, that, you know, a lot of, and I'm going to pick on CrossFit here, and I don't want to pick on CrossFit, but we see that in CrossFit, for example, about, you know, one in three people gets injured doing CrossFit, and probably like one in four never comes back due to injury. Mm. Now, I don't know how solid those numbers are, but that's kind of some of the stuff you'll hear on the internet. Um, so what sort of injuries would be present in, in pole dancing, for example, um. or the prevalence rate? Yeah, we haven't, I haven't analysed too much of the data yet, but it looks as though shoulder injuries are the most most common. Um, and with girls that do it long-term, it's generally overuse. Overuse. Yeah, yeah. overuse injuries. So, And because you are, you're, and a lot of the movements, um, your shoulder joint is completely internally rotated, and then you hang, you're hanging off it in a sort of a lengthened or end-range position, which puts a lot of load on the rotator cuff muscles. So we're looking at rotator cuff tendinopathy and, and that type of thing. And so do you think this is related to the fact that most people today are in sedentary jobs and sitting down crouched over a computer for a lot of, lot of the day? Is, do you think that's more of a factor? I, Would that be across all sports? Potentially, yes. But I also believe, and I actually think that that's the case, we do have quite a few thoracic injuries. Um, people are quite rigid through their rib area so when they go to go upside down they don't have the mobility through the spine and then there's a rotational force and then they get an injury that way and that's because they sit at a computer all day but with the shoulder injuries I think it's more related to um, people start pole dancing and they may have been sedentary for a long time so they don't have a, a base of upper body strength they haven't used their shoulder joint and loaded it especially in a closed chain sort of um, configuration before so they may have gone and done you know some light shoulder presses or bicep curls but they haven't put a huge amount of load through the yeah, joint yeah yeah I, I read this book recently and it's here on the laptop and i'll just show you i've got the electronic version shoulder pain the solution and prevention um by a doctor called john m kirsch okay i think that's the um, correct pronunciation now he was a board certified orthopedic surgeon he was doing lots of these rotator cuff surgeries and he found that, you know, looking at these kind of old school methods when we're talking about body weight and sort of getting back to basics, that he found that just hanging mm-hmm. from a pull-up bar would sort of separate that shoulder out, mm-hmm. you know, loosen out the whole joint um, and basically lower the prevalence of, of um, rotator cuss. See, I'm going to say rotator cuss, but I'm going to tell you a joke about this in a minute, but rotator cuff, <laughs> rotator cuff injuries, um, rotator cuff injuries in people. So maybe, you know... And he, he, again, speaks about the fact that we're sitting down, we're so sedentary. Yeah. And me and you very much will be in that sort of bracket as well. Yes, so yeah, spend lots of time definitely. Like, which I know from me, I got a lot of thoracic mobility issues. Yes, yeah. So do you think that might be a causal factor of, of I, this? I definitely think so. I think when you, when you hang off a bar, you need to activate 
lower traps if you want to be, you know, working through the shoulder joint, which not a lot of people can do. Yeah. So you ask, excuse me, ask someone to lift their arms and they lift their shoulder shoulders up by using their upper traps. Yeah. They don't have the ability to isolate and get their scapula working nicely. So I think it is people do spend too much time sitting down and not using their arms enough. Yeah. Yeah. I said Rotera Cusp because uh, about four or five years ago, my brother who lives in Vancouver said to me one day when I was in Vancouver for work, he was, we were having a coffee and he goes, I think I've, I find you my Rotera Cusp. I'm like, you're what? Your Rotera Cusp. And I think it's called a cuff. And he goes, oh, I don't know. Cusp. Cusp. <laughs> Sorry, I always say Rotera Cusp, but I was uh, a joke, uh, which now has become my normal wording of, of this. <laughs> so yeah, careful what you wish for. Um, so with the novices, you tracked over eight weeks and you looked at the pre and post. Mm. What's some of the interesting things that you found that you didn't think you were going to find? I don't know how to say too much. I'm still recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> um. Give me your non-statistical, non-scientific uh, layman's answer. Well, um, interestingly... So What's your indications? Yeah, so interestingly, these participants paid for the courses themselves at a studio. Okay. Um, but in return, they got their DEXA scan and fitness screenings done. What's a DEXA scan? Uh, body composition scan. So you lay down in a machine and looks at muscle mass, lean tissue, sorry, lean tissue, fat mass, and bone mineral density. Um, but majority of them, there's only a couple, so I think I've tested about 70 people. 70, 70. 770. Oh. Only a couple aren't continuing. Really? Yes. So they've all loved it so much that they're continuing at the studio. And they'd already enrolled to do their next terms, had to quickly get them in for their post-testing before they started the next round. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and the reason that others couldn't continue was because of them moving overseas or, you know, monetary and financial factors. So, um, yes, in, in general, I've seen an increase in confidence levels. So even from females coming at the very start to being quite shy and then they come in for their post-testing and they just can't stop talking. So, and they feel good about themselves and when I ask them to sort of strip down so I can take measurements of their body, they're much more confident in their body. They don't yeah. mind taking their trousers down and just being in their shorts. So, um, yeah, they're probably the biggest changes in that. They have um, commented on feeling stronger and their strength has improved. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing improvements in there, particularly their upper body. So, so improvements in strength, yeah. improvement in confidence. Mm. They're burning calories in classes. Yes. So there's, is, what's the negative? I don't think there is one. Potent oh. Potentially injury. Potentially injuries, but yeah, you but look after yourself yeah. and sort of do the right thing. Mm. And hopefully through your research, you'll be able to design a protocol that would allow right. progressive adaptation to mm. get to these moves mm. that would reduce or eliminate these type of injuries. Yeah. Fascinating. Are you, are, you kind of, are you kind of blown away by it at the moment? Are you kind of going, wow, I can't believe this? I think so. And I think one of the biggest things for me was um, recording the interviews at the very start about why people love it and get addicted. And I had goosebumps, so I almost started crying a lot of the time. I've been involved with pole dancing for 11 years and I've taught for quite a long time. And I've seen these changes in people, but to have that recorded and to be able to tell other people this is what's happening sort of, yeah, blows me away. Um, and then seeing people wanting to continue yeah. long term. That's a very so. high participation rate, mm. you know, because you, you see in other sports that there's a massive dropout rate. Yeah. So why did you get into it, John? Why did you, why did you start um, even doing it before you even talk about teaching or even thinking about researching? What was your yeah. path into it? My, so I'd finished my um, exercise science degree and I was working in a gym and I also danced. So I was a, a dancer, mainly ballet and ballroom. 
um, and the owner of the gym, f- female, she took a bunch of us to a pole dancing studio to do a part to have a bit of a party, and you learn how to pole dance and do a bit of stuff. So a bit of a job, a bit of a goof, like yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, this is in probably 2005, so around that time it was a big thing to do as a hen's party or a party with a bunch of girls. Yeah. Um, and I loved it so much that I contacted that studio the next week and asked to start teaching. So, but back then it wasn't, the movements weren't that complicated. So it was spins and you might go upside down as being something, something difficult, but now it's sort of gone way beyond that. Um, and I started doing that, that became my full-time job. So I taught pole dancing classes and then the studio that I was at also had aerobics type classes around the pole and having a group exercise background, that's what um, I was really interested in. Yeah. But straight away, I could see the benefits from it, from building upper body strength, building flexibility, improving confidence and, and that type of thing. So. And so what made you want to do a PhD in it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the position of, you know, the classic you know, older, crusty type, male or female <laughs> professor. Let's be honest. <laughs> you all know who you are. <laughs> we aspire to be those crusties. Uh, not really. Um, and, and they're sitting there going, you want to be, you want to do what? And so, like, you want to research pole dancing. How, how did you kind of get this research proposal started? Who did you talk to to supervise you? How did you get it sort of approved? And, like... I would have thought that that would have been a project in itself. It was. Yeah, it was. And I think, <laughs> I, so I, after I, um, I did my bachelor degree and I didn't do honours straight away, I sort of went away and worked in the fitness industry for seven or eight years. And then I came back and I wanted to work in academia and I remember approaching one of my supervisors and I said, oh, do you think I could do my honours project on pole dancing? And they just laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did it in ACL injuries. <laughs> um, but then I sort ACL, of... ACL, anterior cruciate yes, ligament. Yeah, yeah, so knee, knee ligament, ligament injuries um, in community sport. But then, yeah, over that period of my honours, I still kept chipping away and um, eventually it, it got approved. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think I don't know how I had to prove myself, but I had to show that it was worthy of being studied. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's been great because I've had so much media attention from it, um, and I, I've had no trouble in participate in recruiting yeah, participants. Yeah. Everyone wants to be a part of it, so um, yeah. I think university may have copped some slack from the you know community and, and the public, but it's it's worthy of being analysed. It's a form of physical activity that gets people off the couch. Yeah. So if we can get people off the couch, that's better for the for the, you know, exactly. the nation. So, you know, we, yeah. we talk about, you know, um, an ever-growing sort of epidemic of obesity and, mm. you know, people being overweight and recently understand, oh, it's tailored off and more people are into overweight, bracket and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, generally overall, we're not a very healthy society. No, we're not. You know? And you nearly get ridiculed for doing activity these days, you know? And so I think you're right. Anything that's going to get people off the couch, get them doing something, is better than nothing. That's right. You know, I, I fully agree with you, no matter what the activity is going to be. And I think this is, this, is, this is my personal criticism of universities in general. I think that universities are so far behind in terms of research is unbelievable that the markets are growing, uh, the economics are driving the development of products. 
in the sleep world we see Fitbits and Jawbones and wearable devices and all sorts of stuff coming out for sleep and, and things you can have in your bedroom and apps and so forth but we don't see the research keeping up with it mm. and I think similarly across all of research it's like this and I think it's probably the same in engineering with devices or technology on the field and we're not sort of staying ahead of it mm. and I think that over time from what I've seen in 20 years is that industry and universities are drifting apart. Now there's some parts where they connect quite well, but I think industry and sort of, um, let's call them population trends or general population trends are, are, are divergent from what universities yeah, are definitely. doing. And yeah. they're becoming two separate entities. Mm. And I think something like what you're doing is great because it's, it's actually trying to validate and promote things that people are doing. But also there's this sort of um, crossover where if you can show the benefits of pole dancing for fitness and, and lifestyle, well then maybe, you know, obviously we'll get publications in that for the field, but then obviously you will support that industry in driving up their numbers yes. and making it more valid yeah. and more sort of um, applicable to all. That's right. So, mm-hmm. long-winded nope. ramble on there, but nope. that's, that's how I feel <laughs> yeah. about nope, what's going on at the moment. I think we're in this big divide at the moment that needs to be closed. Yeah, I think so. And so it's great hearing people like you and I like doing it as well and there's other people as well trying to do more supply type research that mm. meets the needs of what's going on out there yeah for sure so yeah. it's, it's really great to hear that so if, if someone is like um, sitting at home and listening to this and going yeah that's great Joanna but like I'm 5 foot 2 and I weigh 100 kilos and I'm overweight and you know I've never been I went to a step aerobics class in 1989 and I fell yeah. off the step and hurt my ankle and yeah. people laughed at me yeah How, what would you say to that type of person that might be thinking about doing pole dancing or do they have to get their body weight down to a normal range before they start doing oh not necessarily it will be it might be a little bit of a challenge um supporting your weight up the pole you do learn how to sort of spin and lift your feet off the floor but that's the whole point of a beginner's course is to teach that progression yeah Uh, and um where i teach at the moment we've got all shapes and sizes we've got a couple of ladies in their 60s at the moment um but yeah we've got all all different shapes so um if you are a little bit more overweight and you don't have much upper body strength, you might just need to repeat that beginner's course a couple of times to build up that strength. But that's the great thing about studios is they've got that flexibility so you can choose and you can stay at a level as long as you want to. Um, just like I've been doing beginner yoga for 12 years. Yes, yeah, well done. <laughs> as long as you've progressed a little bit, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I had a massage yesterday and the lady said to me it was massaging me she goes oh you're very tight for the back she goes and, and your shoulders maybe you should try yoga I said I've been doing yoga for oh. 12 years <laughs> oh um, I said maybe I should get a new spine yeah. <laughs> so there, there is there is a path oh most definitely yeah. yeah and studios are getting better and better at um, progressing um, their students safely and I think it's a really nice comfortable environment for people that it's really accepting so it doesn't matter if and it's about your own journey so some people are naturally better at the dancey type stuff some people are more flexible so they're good at that type thing some people are naturally stronger so everyone's got their own sort of strengths and weaknesses and it's a good environment where you can embrace that and then work on work together on your on your weaknesses and it sounds like from talking to you about it that it's quite a fun environment like you've got a smile on your face all the time we've been talking about this today so it sounds like it's a very fun environment very inclusive people motivate each other and sort of keep each other on the the straight and narrow and keep keep them going yeah you end up laughing most of the time because you (laughs) you end up falling or making up your own move because you can't get into it but and the whole once you get a move if someone climbs to the top of the pole the whole class just goes wild 
because everyone in there knows how difficult that is. So it's there's about yeah. there's about fifty jujitsu guys listening to this at the moment. Go on, I'm gonna go down there and clap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be clapped. Yeah. I want to be adored. <laughs> 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 you know who you are. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So, um, throughout, throughout this study or these series of studies you've been undertaking, um, have you been collecting any other subjective measures? And I'm going to try and link this back around to the title of the podcast, which is around sleep. But have you seen any sort of additional improvements or heard improvements in sleep, anxiety, insomnia? any of these other kind of other things that may not have been directly measured by you but may be of interest i think so i've had i definitely have had people um comment on on improvements definitely with anxiety and, and depression um postnatal depression um interestingly though i know and i'm myself included and there's particularly instructors that teach at night and if you've got back-to-back classes we struggle to sleep because we're so alert at the at the end of end of teaching um so, and for me personally, my whole timetable shifted. I used to be a wake up early in the morning type person, but now everything's shifted because I'm so stimulated after being upside down for so many hours. When I get home, it takes me a couple of hours to turn off. So I'm now waking up later. So my days have sort of shifted back. Um, but in terms of quality of sleep, I think people are getting a really good sleep because they're so exhausted um, that they, their bodies just crash. So... Yeah. yeah, and we see this like in in the research around sort of um, the effect of exercise on sleep, mm. and we see a number of different ways. So for those who have sleep disorders, particularly obstructive sleep apnea, where they're overweight, okay. yeah. if they lower their weight, generally the mm. the obstructive sleep apnea may either go away or disappear or come down to yeah. normal ranges yeah. because obviously with that you know sort of a fatter neck, um, you're you're not getting as much oxygen overnight. So by losing weight, that will improve that. But we also see as well that exercise improves the ability to fall asleep or the sleep onset insomnia. Okay. Because people, like you're saying, are so exhausted from the class yeah. that they yeah. fall asleep quicker and they're so oh. tired that they actually maintain sort of sleep quality overnight. Because a lot of people who are uh, sedentary or not doing enough exercise during the day, they may either nap during the day mm. or in the afternoon, which then breaks up the sleep overnight, yeah. maybe consuming a lot of sugar mm. or caffeine. And then just by virtue of doing more exercise or activity during the day to become more focused on their health. Yeah, yeah. You know? And we I've seen this recently with a guy who started jiu-jitsu at 120 something kilos, six foot one. Now he's like 83 kilos. And he went, yeah. I never really went on a diet. I never really had a structured approach. I just started doing jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu every day. I liked it so much that when I finished jiu-jitsu, putting McDonald's or fast food in my face every day, I didn't feel good. So I just sort of had something a bit better. And it was just kind of over time. Yeah. The activity drove the change. Yes. Not him driving the change with the activity. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is what, like what you're saying around yeah, all dance as well. It's, it's more it's of it becomes more intrinsic. More intrinsic to life. Motivation yeah. rather than external type things. I am actually recording sleep quality. Are you? Yeah. What, how are you recording this? Uh, it's a scale. I can't remember the name. <laughs> So the participants that do the eight weeks, they keep a training diary because they need to make sure that their training level stays the same apart from the two pole dancing classes a week that they do on top. But I'm also recording their sleep quality. Um, We we should talk. I think we need to. Because we have, um, I've just had a paper accepted this week for publication. Oh, well done. Please, audience, our live studio audience, settle down. (laughs) 
someone just threw underwear at me. Um, what? <laughs> so we, we had this paper um, accepted this week, which was looking at the validity of a device called a ready band, right. which is a wrist-worn activity device, which yeah. people can sync to their phone. And we, we assessed it here at the centre that we're in now today against polysomnography in the lab and against interactograph device. So we can use that type of device where we can synchronise the data to the phone. But more importantly, you as a researcher can look at the data day by day, hour by hour, live. Right. So as the person is syncing the data, you can actually see what's happening. Mm. And so we have those devices here which we could maybe possibly use. Uh, in determining some objective yeah. measures of sleep yeah. and looking at the correlation with sleep quality as well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm just using a sleep quality um, survey, a scale. Yeah, it could yeah. be very interesting to see pre and post if the sleep does improve mm. as a secondary measure as well. Yeah. Or um, we can use what's called sleep efficiency, a measure of sleep quality, to see if that has improved over um, over the period as well. Mm. So maybe the sleep duration hasn't changed, but the quality, the quality. The quality yeah. has, has sort of changed. And that would be affected by things like time in bed or the mm. sleep onset latency or time to fall asleep. So there's definitely some uh, benefits around that. I think it's interesting when we start talking to, uh, when researchers start talking, we find more common ground than we think there yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And we can start kind of, you know, helping each other. And I would, mm. I would, I would encourage a lot of people in your jobs or in, in sort of research is to have a chat with other people about divergent research and look for the overlap because yes. there is so much overlap yeah, that we can help each other is. out. And, yeah. uh, and also with the... The injury surveillance study, I recorded sleep for that too. There you, there you go. go. Yeah. yeah. And that's another, that's another interesting thing as well because we know that many people with injuries, and whilst it hasn't been well documented, we know that many people with injuries, you know, complain about sleep issues um, and normally getting comfortable to fall asleep. Mm. And so anybody's ever cracked a rib or torn an oh, intercostal, yes, I've done which that. I've done about oh, seven or eight times. Have you? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. How, how, so the, you use your waist as a grip point on the pole and this particular move, you pull your leg across your body so my, the pressure went up in my thoracic region and then the cracked. So I luckily didn't fracture a rib, it was just um, I tore intercostals and the cartilage was damaged but to cough, to stand yeah. up, it took me... I think it took me eight weeks to be able to go yeah. upside down on the pole again because of that pressure. So. Yeah, I've done it in jiu-jitsu maybe four or five times, wow. rugby as well, okay. um, and it's it's horrendous. Mm. It's just so sore, and when it breaks, when it cracks, you can hear it, feel it cracking and ripping. And like you were saying, trying to sleep is virtually yeah. impossible. Yeah. No matter what position you get in, it's just so uncomfortable. Mm. It took me yeah about six to eight weeks every time, yeah. and it's just yeah. When I, you know, when I get a massage or go to an osteopath and they put their hand on my ribs, it's like, what's this? What's that? What's oh, yeah, that? Yeah. Just lumps everywhere. It's like some <laughs> alien trying to get out, get on that. It's like that, like the alien movie. It's like someone poking on me. So it's, it's absolutely horrendous. Mm. And so yeah, sleep across those injuries could be could be what could be looked at as That's well. That's right. Yeah. So many many different ways mm. to look at. So Joanna, if somebody's interested in doing and um, participating in your research study. Yes. Um, or interested, let's talk about participating in your study. Are you still open to volunteers? Are you still looking for people? I am. I'm recruiting for the next week, for the next couple of weeks. Next so, couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's to start pole dancing at the end of October. The end of October? Yeah. All right, so what we might do then is expedite this episode and get out sooner yes. to try and drive that up some numbers amazing. for you if, you, yes. if we can, could. So it would be in the next week. Um, so studios, I for the, for the training study, I've paired up with studios around Perth. So participants choose a studio that's close to them and um, sort of financially fits in with, with them and their schedule fits in with them, and they do two months of pole dancing. So the study will finish just before Christmas and then okay. come in for post-testing then. I just need to get you in... F- 
to UWA for pre-testing in the next week or two. Um, I mean, there is the flexibility to start sort of a week later, but you just need to catch up on those classes. As yeah. long as you get the 16 classes in, that's, that's fine. So this might be yeah. perfect before Christmas, before you want to pile on those pounds. Make, right. make the room yes make create the, the room create the opportunity build, build some muscle lose some fat and then you can lose it all over Christmas <laughs> go crazy over the Christmas period yeah okay and so um, what about people who are not here in Western Australia or based in Perth mm. um, is there any way they can track your research yeah. is there any Facebook social media they can find out any yeah, networks you can plug into wherever they may be because yeah. we've got some listeners here in America or Canada and sure so I'm on Instagram pole, yeah. pole dancing research is my Instagram account um, I've got a group on Facebook called and it's pole dancing research again so it's a, a group that I've got um, I'm on Twitter which is pole dancing research as well um, and research gate which is Joanna uh, I think I've got my middle name in there. Catherine with a C and then Nicholas, Joanna C. Nicholas. Um, and we got show notes in this episode when it goes up onto iTunes oh, and Podbean. So we'll put all those links and that information in there yes. so people can kind of follow you yeah. or join those groups. Yeah. And maybe um, hopefully ask you questions if you're open. That would be and, great. And find out about maybe things and places they can go yeah, to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's any final any final comments on uh, your research and, and the benefits of pole dancing? I think everyone needs to give it a go. People are quick to judge, of course, based on the stigma of it, but I think unless you have a go, you don't really understand what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, I think go to a class. A lot of studios have taster classes where you can go and try it for $10 or $15. So um, give it a go and you'll be surprised, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you talk about that because when I was younger, I'd look at girls skipping and I'd be like, <laughs> skipping, I'd, girls doing handstands and backflips. And then I went to jiu-jitsu and people were doing backflips and yeah. I went to boxing. <laughs> I went to boxing and I couldn't skip and yeah. people were laughing at me. And the coach said, you can't skip. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, in, a, in my hometown, if you skipped, you know, you got beaten up. Yeah. So, yeah, who's laughing now? Yeah. Not me. <laughs> so, yeah, go, go on, give it a try. And, um, yeah, maybe if there's a group of guys there, maybe get a private lesson. Go and That's have a laugh. If it is a books yeah. party or a group of footy guys. Yeah. or And studios do, yeah. like even myself, I've got a portable pole. So we come around and we can we can run a class anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking I might get a, a few of these uh, tough guys at jiu-jitsu. You know who you are to come down and uh, try some of this and see how tough you are. And Joanna might be able to kick your ass on the pole. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Thank Donna. you. Cheers. When there's nothing but a slow glowing dream that you're free. Deep inside your mind All alone I have cried Silent tears full of pride In a world